Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Rage Podcast. I'm your host, Mikla Parker, and I'm very happy to be back in the studio for the 2022-2023 school year. Before we begin, I want to thank a couple of people for making DU feel like home for me this past year. I want to first thank Sherry Coulter. When I first got accepted to DU and was on the search for on-campus jobs, I stumbled upon iRISE. Sherry helped me figure out how to receive a work-study through the school and hired me immediately as a graduate assistant. From that moment on, iRISE has continued to be a place that I feel safe, loved, and heard on campus. So Sherry, I want to personally thank you for helping me when I was the most frightened about transitioning into grad school. Thank you for always giving me resources to help me succeed, and most importantly, thank you for your endless support and love. You will always have a special place in my heart. I want to also thank Linda Duran for her endless dedication to BIPOC students, their personal and professional development in academia, and creating spaces of safety, education, and community all throughout campus. Your work with the Borenstein, Gomez, and Samosas Rising Scholars Program and the Roger Solters Institute, or RSI, and many, many other initiatives within iRISE have created intentional spaces for BIPOC students to engage with research, with resources, and in academia in a way they didn't know was possible. The work you do for others is truly phenomenal. Thank you for your commitment to amplifying BIPOC students' stories and voices on a predominantly white campus. Your drive, energy, and thoughts have truly inspired me and empowered me. Thank you, Linda, for all the hugs, well wishes, and smiles throughout our time knowing each other. I truly, truly appreciate you. And lastly, I want to give an extra special thank you to my first friend at DU, one of the hardest working and humblest people I know, and someone I can always count on no matter what, Karis Fox. As the last host of the Rage podcast, I knew I would have big shoes to fill, but Karis has helped me transition into this role seamlessly. Without her insight, guidance, and help, I don't know where I would be. The passion Karis has to illustrate stories and dialogues that captivate us all is truly remarkable. Karis is a a once-in-a-lifetime kind of person, and I'm truly happy to have the opportunity to work with them and call Karis my friend. Thank you, thank you, and thank you again, Karis, for your commitment to disrupting academia to better support BIPOC students at DU. Your work and research with Remember X, the Rage podcast, and so many more initiatives throughout iRISE are truly astounding. It has been an honor to work with you and to know you. I am grateful for our friendship and grateful for everything you've given me. I love you so, so, so much, dear. Thank you so much again. As we transition, I thought it would be a good idea to reestablish myself as the host with you, the audience, or in the words of Beyonce's husband, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name again is Mikola Parker, not Michaela, not Michaela, Mikola. And if you know what's up, Micaela. <laughs> I'm an incoming second year student at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies, and I'm getting my master's in public policy with a concentration in human rights and social justice. I've kind of already revealed a little bit about myself in the intro, but I love rap and hip hop. I would even go as far as to say I'm a rap snob. 
I grew up listening to old Kanye, DMX, RIP, and Little Bow Wow. I also was born in Lubbock, Texas, so you know I got love for Southern rap as well. I love 3-6 Mafia, Ying Yang Twins, and DJ Screw R.I.P. I'm a huge anime nerd. I love music, movies, fashion, and arts. I play bass guitar, and her name is Killer. And I enjoy reading poetry and occasionally dog stalking. I'm just playing, but if you do have a cute dog, please bring them around me. I enjoy a good happy cry here and there. I grew up just south of here in Colorado Springs. I graduated high school from Sierra High School in 2016, where I ran track and participated in softball and basketball. Shout out to the Lady Stallions basketball team. Growing up in Colorado Springs was very interesting, to say the least. For most of my time in early education, I went to school in very white, in very affluent areas, I of which am neither. I was constantly being asked about my race, if people could touch my hair, and tremendous amounts of bullying from my white peers. I identify as Afro-Latina, and my mom identifies as Latina or Tejano, which is Mexican-American folks from Texas. Growing up, my mom made sure to let me know that I am Black and Mexican, and to love myself be proud of who I am, and all of my quirky uniquenesses. We celebrated Kwanzaa, Black History Month, and Juneteenth together. My mom was raised Catholic, but went out of her way to attend Baptist services with me, just so I could meet other young Black people and make friends. My mom learned how to braid my hair so I could look like Allen Iverson upon requests, and she went above and beyond overall just to make sure that I felt comfortable with all of my identities. And I am forever grateful to her for that. Actually, a lot of who I am is because of my mom. She was my first advocate and supporter. I remember when I was bullied, she decided to take a position at my elementary school so she could better watch me. She was the first person to show me the importance of giving back to others and the first person to tell me to never dream small. So thank you, Mommy. I love you, and I hope I can continue to make you proud. As I continued to stay in these predominantly white spaces, I continued to feel othered and unwelcomed all throughout middle school and into high school. I remember one time my freshman year, one of my basketball teammates referred to me as a token player and stated I was only on the team because they needed another black person during a gym cleanup event. Instances like this impacted my self-esteem and even who wanted to be my friend. At the beginning of my junior year, I decided I wanted to transfer schools and I decided I wanted to go to Sierra High School. Sierra is located on the south side of Colorado Springs. In the past, any news coverage about the school has been oversaturated with accounts of unruly or disrespectful students, rhetoric that stereotypes the community, specifically black and brown students and their families, and other very negative depictions of the school. I physically remember white teachers telling me not to transfer because of how bad the school was and the lack of opportunities I would receive after high school. Not only were these accounts infuriatingly wrong, but I truly found myself and felt the most comfortable ever in school because of the community at Sierra. What these white, privileged teachers failed to acknowledge was not only that their mindset of Sierra was based in racist preconceptions, but that the white community within Briargate in northern Colorado Springs has hoarded tremendous amounts of wealth and resources to continue to disenfranchise the black and brown communities in southern Colorado Springs. Because of Sierra High School, 
I was awarded numerous scholarship opportunities that allowed me to go to Colorado State University for my undergrad degree virtually free, as well as get opportunities to take dual enrollment classes, AP classes, and retake any classes I was previously not doing good at. Without Sierra, I am sure I would not have made it to college. Sierra High School has some of the best and brightest students I have ever met, and I am honored in more ways than one to call myself an alumni of such an incredibly diverse, welcoming, and supportive school. When I went to college during my undergrad, I feared I was stumbling back into the same white spaces I was trying to escape from. When I arrived at CSU, I could not help but be anxious at the onslaught of over 50,000 white students. I was also a part of Air Force ROTC, so not only was I on an extremely white campus, but I also was affiliated with the most niche subgroup of pro-white, racist, right-winging, nationalistic people, probably at CSU. As my freshman year commenced in fall 2016, so did the presidential election season. There was an increased amount of racially motivated incidents that would occur, from students building a wall out of cardboard boxes on the plaza, to swastikas and other neo-Nazi symbols being plastered around the school. For many months, I struggled to find my home and a place I felt safe in this new environment, until I started pushing myself to go to the Black and African American Cultural Center, or back office for short. This became and will forever be my home. I joined a student org called United Women of Color, or UWC, and my life completely changed for the better. As more years passed, more bias-related incidents happened. BIPOC students began to organize against the institution and their lack of response to such unscrupulous acts. And this, my friends, <laughs> this is where things get interesting. So please, buckle up. Let me first lay out the scene for y'all. It's September 2019 at CSU. Students are getting reacquainted to campus life, enjoying parties, hanging out with friends, meeting new friends. Me, myself, I have senioritis. I'm entering my fourth year. I'm ready to graduate. I want to walk across that stage. Shout out not knowing COVID was going to happen. <laughs> but I'm excited for the school year. But one one specific group of white freshman students would have a completely different approach of celebrating the incoming school year. These students decided to put black charcoal face masks on their face, took a picture with their arms crossed in front of them with the caption that reads, Wakanda forever. Now, if I may, if the point doesn't already stick, it's giving minstrel show. Not only did the school not take action under the guise of freedom of speech, but the Collegiate, which is CSU's student newspaper and news station, decided to do an exclusive one-on-one -on -one TV interview with one of the main perpetrators of this egregious act, which in short gave more visibility to the ignorance that had transpired on our campus rather than creating narratives that would empower Black students after such a traumatic event. Some of my peers, as well as myself, discussed intentional and tactical ways that we could help advocate and amplify the voices of BIPOC students. We as students of all different identities recognize that racially biased related incidents do not just occur and have not just occurred historically to Black students at CSU. After countless hours of researching, interviewing, organizing, meeting in secret, 
and waiting for the perfect moment to strike, we would launch a strategic protest against the school at the presidential fall address. We made a burner account where we posted flyers with organizing information and our demands so that no one could trace any activity we were posting on social media back to us. So fast forward to the day of the protest. I remember feeling anxious and walking through campus thinking everyone knows I'm up to something no good. <laughs> Once I arrived to the meeting point, I started seeing steady groups of students come and join us. After a couple minutes, I knew that this was going to be a major turning point in the school's history. As we got ready to walk to the Oval, we linked arms and began our pursuit. We walked through the center of the Oval where then President Joyce McConnell was giving the presidential fall address. Our group of students, staff, and other faculty members walked in front of the stage that Joyce McConnell was speaking on. The amount of people that stood in solidarity with us was incredibly moving. By most accounts, we had approximately around 500 students, staff, and faculty members participate in our protest. To this day, I don't really have many events that I reminisce on that make me proud, but I am extremely proud of the bravery, courage, and energy that we all put into organizing this. Through our work in organizing, we were able to host a meeting with over 50 faculty members to discuss initiatives, actions, and other procedures that could help BIPOC students on campus and increase diversity, inclusion, and safety, some of which are actually implemented at CSU today. With that being said, I specifically want to thank Jessica, Janae, Hanin, and Marcella for the hours and energy you put into disrupting the system at CSU for the better. It has truly been an honor to know you and work with y'all in that capacity and in so many other capacities. Later on in the school year, I would graduate with my bachelor's in communication and ethnic studies. And as a first-gen student, this was such a big victory for me. Mind you, I never thought I would go to college. I didn't think it was somewhere I could find myself and feel empowered. And as a 24-year-old, I'm constantly reminding myself of my greatness. I break every barrier laid in front of me, and I'm constantly striving to unravel the generational curses that my family has been plagued with. I'm forever thankful to my ancestors for laying the path of success down for me without me even knowing that it was there. Without their sacrifices, love, and prayers, I would not be here. I hope I can continue to make them proud as they watch over me and guide me. The events of September 2019 and other racially biased related incidents are some of the hardest things for me to talk about because of the scars and trauma that still linger with me today. Throughout my time at CSU, I was spit on, called the N-word, and had the Larimer County Sheriff and his social media followers threaten my life. Nothing about what I did was normal. It is not normal for BIPOC students to have to compartmentalize their academic and educational success so that they can fight for their rights on a campus and within an institution they pay thousands of dollars to go to. What happened to me at CSU is not an anomaly. These events are happening on every predominantly white campus across the country. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to talk to some black students who discussed the hardships of being on DU's campus. When I talked to them, I felt as if I was looking into a mirror at myself. To any student 
who has ever felt unwelcomed at DU, I want to personally let you know that I see you, I understand you, and I love you. You are heard, and I promise we will continue to fight for each other. I know I might be repeating myself, but one of my favorite quotes is from Maya Angelou, and it goes, I am human, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. Now, fast forward to today, I am here at DU. I work for iRise as the communications person. I'm the president of Social Justice Solidarity Series through Corbell, and I'm happy to be wrapping up the last of my MPP degree in 2023. I'm not sure where my story is going to take me next, but I know I have already lived such an exciting and beautiful life thus far. I hope through this podcast, I can continue to explore myself and the passions that I have with you all, the listener. Before I go, I thought it'd be fun at the end of every episode to read y'all a little excerpt from a book I'm currently reading. Our book today is called Black Imagination. Three Black women, Amber Flame, Rachel Ferguson, and Imani Sims got together and planned an exhibition that would decenter whiteness and provide space for healing and validation. They agreed to collect sounds from Black folks of all kinds, and craving nuance over stereotype, they sought out Black children, Black youth, LGBTQ plus Black folks, unsheltered Black folks, incarcerated Black folks, neurodivergent Black folks, as well as differently abled Black folks. Using field recorders, they spent months collecting responses to three prompts. What is your origin story? How do you heal yourself? Describe slash imagine a world where you are loved, safe, and valued. Today, we will be listening to Tamara Boyton Howard from Seattle, Washington. They say, as I walk, I smile and people smile back. There is always a seat at my favorite coffee table and no pee on the floor when I go to the bathroom. Airline tickets are free to me so I can travel anywhere I want whenever I want. There is always a friend nearby. My ego is assuaged and my heart is full of love. I have unwarranted confidence to live the life of freedom I deserve. Micromanagement does not exist. Not only do others trust me, but I trust myself to lean into my desires. As I said a couple episodes ago, it has always been my dream to have my own TV show or talk show, and I'm really excited to take ownership of the Rage podcast and truly make it my own. Or, in other words, Watch out, world. I'm entering my Oprah era. (laughs) But before I sign off, I do want to let y'all know how excited I am for the future of the Rage podcast. We have some really exciting content coming out soon, specifically around Halloween time. So please stay tuned. And as always, thank you so much again for joining us on another episode of the Rage podcast. Peace, beloveds. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rage podcast. The Rage Podcast is the product of the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for the Study of Inequality, or IRISE. To learn more about what we do, please visit our website at irise.du.edu. To ensure that we bring you quality content, please be sure to subscribe, follow, like, or share on the platform you are listening to us on. For Rage opportunities and updates, please follow our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Rage Podcast, all one word. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Rage. And remember, every day you are breathing, you are winning. Stay safe and you are loved.